The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 6, David Platt examines the cross of Christ from a number of different angles. We'll consider the reality of the cross, Scripture's teaching on the circumstances surrounding Christ's crucifixion, the history of the cross, the ways in which the cross has been understood throughout church history, the meaning of the cross, the journey to the cross, the intent of the cross, and the effects of the cross. We'll see how the death of Christ over 2,000 years ago secures our salvation and shapes all of history. For the Secret Church 6 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit radical.net slash sc6. This is Secret Church 6, Episode 1. Here's what I want to start tonight by doing. I want to share something. It's something actually I shared uh, with the Faith family here at Brook Hills. Um, A couple of months ago, at the end of a series we walked through in Galatians, and it's actually a quote. It's a quote that I heard a preacher say uh, at a very pivotal point in my life as a a college student. And I know there's a lot of of college students uh, around this room tonight. But uh, the, the preacher's name was John Piper, and uh, he said these words, and I just don't think I can improve on them. It's kind of a long quote, but, uh, but follow with me. He said, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world, but you do have to know a few great things that matter and to be willing to live for them and die for them. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things but who have been mastered by a few great things. If you want your life to count, if you want the ripple effect of the pebbles you drop to become waves that reach the ends of the earth and roll on for centuries into eternity, you don't have to have a high IQ. You don't have to have good looks or riches. You don't have to come from a fine family or fine school. You have to know a few great, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious things and to be set on fire by them. He continued, he said, but I I know that not all of you want your life to make a difference. There are many of you, you don't care whether you make a lasting difference for something great. You just want people to like you. Or if you could just grow up and have a good job with a good wife and a couple of good kids and a nice car and long weekends and a few good friends, a fun retirement and quick and easy death and no hell, if you could have that, you'd be satisfied. And he said, that's a tragedy in the making. Then he used two illustrations. He's a pastor. He said, three weeks ago, we got word at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards had both been killed in Cameroon. Ruby was over 80. Single all her life, she poured it out for one great thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the unreached, the poor, and the sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80 years old and serving at Ruby's side in Cameroon. The brakes failed. The car went off the cliff, and they were both killed instantly. And I asked my people, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great vision, spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ, two decades after almost all their American counterparts have retired to throw their lives away on trifles in Florida or New Mexico. 
No, that is not a tragedy. That is a glory. I'll tell you what a tragedy is, he said. I'll read to you from Reader's Digest what a tragedy is. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. The American dream, come to the end of your life, your one and only life, and let the last great work you give, before you give an account to your creator be, I collected shells. See my shells, God? That is a tragedy. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And I want to plead with you, don't buy it. And he pleaded with us not to buy it. And so tonight I want, want to speak to you. Yes, to teach from the Bible, but to speak to every teenager and every college student, every man and every woman and every senior adult in this room. And I want to plead with you to make your life count for one thing, to be consumed by one thing, to be obsessed with one thing, and that one thing is the cross of Christ. And I want to submit to you tonight that if your life is not consumed with the cross of Christ, you will waste your life in this world. It will be wasted. That's how important I'm convinced what we are talking about tonight is. So, we're going to dive in and we're going to look at, at the truth behind the cross of Christ on this Good Friday. You open up your notes and you see the first page. It says the cruciality of the cross. I want to set the stage here for where we are going. Kind of a play on words there, kind of the crux of the crucifixion, cruciality of the cross. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's why Paul would say in chapter 2, verse 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, I resolved to know nothing among you except for Christ and him crucified. Christ and him crucified was everything. So here's why we are here tonight. First, to commemorate the historical reality of the cross. To commemorate the historical reality of the cross. This is Good Friday. And we're thinking tonight about real historical events that happened approximately 2,000 years ago. Some interesting quotes tried to litter throughout the beginning here just to give you a picture of Christ and history. Napoleon himself said, everything in Christ astonishes me. His spirit overawes me. His will confounds me. Between him and whoever else in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. I search in vain to find the similar to Jesus Christ or anything which can approach the gospel. Neither history nor humanity nor the ages nor nature offer me anything with which I am able to compare it or explain it. Here everything is extraordinary. It was the person of Christ. And we all know secular Christian scholars alike would attribute great significance to the person of Christ. But to the meaning of the cross, 
cross is the centerpiece of all history. Robert Layton, the world, whole world in comparison with the cross of Christ is one great impertinence. Everything in history revolves around the cross. That's what we're going to look at tonight. But not just to look at the historical reality. Second, to explore the theological mystery of the cross. We're going to find tonight historical facts about the cross, but even deeper theological mysteries behind the cross. And this is where we have to really tune in because I'm guessing most, if not all, all of us are at least in some sense familiar with historical facts about the cross. And most, if not all of us, have probably even seen the passion of the Christ. When we think about the cross, and many have even asked, are we going to have different clips tonight? And we are not. The reason is because these images that we have fixed on our mind, if that is all we understand about the cross, we have a very shallow understanding of the cross. There are truths here that are far deeper. This is where all of Christian theology conversions together. The doctrine of God, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of salvation, all of these doctrines come together right here. And if our doctrines are faulty about God and man and Christ and salvation, then we'll never understand the cross. And if our understanding of the cross is weak, so will our understanding of God be weak. And our understanding of ourselves will be weak. And our understanding of what it means to be saved will drift into, well, what we've created it to be today. It's from a lack of understanding about the theological mystery behind the cross. The doctrine of the death of Christ is the substance of the gospel, and it is the determinant of our eternity. I love this quote from Thomas Brooks. Christ's blood is heaven's key. I'm convinced that we are part of a church culture today that has manufactured a cross-less Christianity. And the result is, we're going to talk about this in just a minute, but the result is, I'm convinced there are scores of people who have embraced a Christianity that is minus the cross. And as a result, their eternity, their eternity and their perception of where they're going for eternity is deceived. Because they've bought into a gospel that's not a biblical gospel. And so my challenge, really more important than anything we do tonight, is to ask every one of you in this room, have you truly trusted the Christ of the cross? And as we look at these truths tonight, ask yourself, this is what your eternity is dependent on. Have you trusted the Christ of the cross? So how do we come? We must come with deep humility This is obviously an extremely humbling thing to dive into and study. Facts of the cross. Got this quote from Spurgeon. We're going to talk about theological mystery. But at the same time, we need to remember the the fact of what we're thinking about tonight. He stripped off first one robe of honor and then another until naked he was fastened to the cross. There he emptied his inmost self, pouring out his lifeblood, giving himself for all of us. Finally, they laid him in a borrowed grave. How low was our Redeemer brought? How then can we be proud? Stand at the foot of the cross and count the scarlet drops by which you have been cleansed. See the thorny crowns and his scourged shoulders still gushing with the crimson flow of blood. See his hands and feet given up to the rough iron and his whole self mocked and scorned. See the bitterness, the pangs, the throes of inward grief show themselves in his outward frame. Hear the chilling shriek, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? If you are not humbled in the presence of Jesus, you do not know him. 
You were so lost that nothing could save you but the sacrifice of God's only begotten Son. As Jesus stooped for you, bow in humility at his feet. A realization of Christ's amazing love has a greater tendency to humble us than even a consciousness of our own guilt. Pride cannot live beneath the cross. Let us sit there and learn our lesson. Then, us, then let us rise and carry it into practice. And spurge it. So we come with deep humility and we come to the cross with desperate urgency. And if you could... Let me go off on a bit of a tangent here for just a second because we need to move on, but this is key. We have reduced the gospel today to a shrink-wrapped presentation that if you can get someone to say the right things back to you or pray the right things back to you, then we pronounce them saved from their sins for eternity and move on. We have taken the very lifeblood of the gospel out and we put Kool-Aid in its place. We have said Pray this prayer, sign this card, do this deal, and you're saved. We have used phrases to describe conversion that are nowhere found in Scripture. And it's because we have minimized the cross. We have talked about God as a friend who needs us instead of us as sinners who desperately need him. And so tonight as we look at these things... This is serious stuff. Because the very core of the gospel is found in what we're looking at tonight. Live in a day where we talk about Jesus. Well, he is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. Or I came to know Jesus as Savior, but he wasn't Lord. And people even say, preachers even say today, trust in Jesus as your Savior, but you don't have to submit to him as your Lord. That is blasphemy. If he is not Lord of all, he cannot be our Savior. It's impossible. You see these quotes here from Pink. The nature of Christ's salvation is woefully misrepresented by the present day evangelist. He announces a savior from hell rather than a savior from sin. And that is why, men are so, why so many are fatally deceived. For there are multitudes who wish to escape the lake of fire and who have no desire to be delivered from their carnality and worldliness. Scores. Scores who say, well, I prayed a prayer and I know I'm going to heaven, but their lives are so far from God and they want nothing to do with God. This is not biblical Christianity. And it undercuts the power of the cross. What we have said to the world is trust in Christ, but he really doesn't make that big a difference in your lives and your battles with sin and your struggles with this and that. And it does. The cross is powerful enough for those things. And so we come tonight with great urgency, Packer said, to recover the old authentic biblical gospel and to bring our preaching and practice back into line with it is perhaps our most pressing present need. This is the foolishness of the cross. We've catered a message to a man-centered, me-centered culture and in the process diluted it of its power. There is power in the foolishness of the cross. What is this bizarre message for which believers in the first century gave their lives and believers around the world together in secret churches are giving their lives? Urgency. What, what we can expect. We will be confronted with the severity of our sin. We need to see ourselves tonight in light of the cross. I want you to think with me about the passion narrative, the scene leading up to the cross. Who do you most identify with in this whole narrative. Maybe Peter, weeping as you realize the 
magnitude of your denial of Christ. Maybe Simon of Cyrene. You picture yourself carrying Jesus' cross with him, for him. Maybe the women who stood at a distance. Maybe Mary who stood there at the cross looking up at her son. Maybe John whom Jesus spoke to at the cross. Maybe, maybe you picture yourself as the thief on one side or the other. Maybe the centurion who shouted, surely this was the Son of God after he saw Jesus die. You know who I most identify with? I most identify with the angry mobs yelling, crucify him. And I'm convinced that if we were honest with ourselves, were it not for the grace of God, we would all be right there. C.J. Mahaney says we're only flattering ourselves to think otherwise. The old Negro spiritual asks, were you there when they crucified my Lord? And the answer is yes, we were there. Not as spectators, though, but as participants, guilty participants. Stott said, until you see the cross as that which is done by you, you will never appreciate that it is done for you. So see yourself in this story tonight. The great Scottish hymn writer, Horatius Bonner, wrote, "'Twas I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. Of all that shouting multitude, I feel that I am one. And in that din of voices rude, I recognize my own. Around the cross, the throng I see, mocking the sufferer's groan. Yet still my voice, it seems to be, as if I mocked alone." Tonight we will be confronted with the severity of our sin and at the same time we will be struck with the glory of our God. The glory of our God. McShane said the wounds of Christ were the greatest outlets of his glory that ever were. Calvin said there's no tribunal so magnificent, no throne so stately, no show of triumph so distinguished, no chariot so elevated as is the gibbet on which Christ hath subdued death and the devil. And here's the goal. When we leave tonight, Two things. When we leave tonight, we will go to our homes boasting in the cross. We will see tonight that the only ground for our boasting in anything in this world is the cross of Christ. And we will see that Christianity is not about coming to Christ and leaving the cross behind and moving on to greater truths. Christianity is cross-centered from start to end into all of eternity. For all of eternity, the cross will be central. It's not just central as something that happened then or even that we realized in our lives. The cross is the basis by which we live on a day-by-day-by-day basis. You see that? I won't read through it, but the Celtic tradition that basically said Christ over everything, Christ in everything, his cross. We will go to our homes boasting in the cross. And second, we will go to the nations carrying our cross. This is my prayer. My prayer is that God would take our time together tonight and he will fix in each of us a consuming desire to take the cross to the nations. If I could just get your attention right up here for just a minute. I want, I want to share with you that I have been praying that tonight... God would call individuals from this room and families from this room to abandon their lives to go to other nations to make this cross known. 
praying that the Spirit of God will do that kind of work in hearts tonight. And I would simply ask that you open your heart up and say, Christ, I want to see you in all of your glory. And as I do, I will do whatever you ask me to do. To put a blank check on the table, so to speak. And whether that means he does lead you somewhere, or leads you in Birmingham or wherever you live, to live so radically different than the world around us because the cross has changed us. I'm praying that the result of tonight will be a people who are passionately running after the nations, proclaiming the good news of the cross of Christ. Isaac Watts, you know him as a hen writer, he said, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, and shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? I love this phrase. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas, are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Since I might fight, if I would reign, increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. And this is where I want to remind us tonight that the purpose of our gathering tonight is not just for what's going on in this room. The purpose is not for us to gather together tonight and certainly not to be entertained There are a lot of more fun things you could have chosen on Friday night to be entertained by in this world. The the goal is not to entertain, it's to equip. The goal is not even for us to walk out of here having a knowledge of the cross of Christ. The goal is for every single follower of Christ in this room to walk out of this place tonight equipped with the word of God to teach others in the nations about the cross of Christ. That you would walk away from here equipped to in your home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, on your college campus, on your high school campus, and in other nations among unreached people groups or persecuted peoples that you would be equipped to teach others the glory of Christ in the cross. So that's why the study guide is as extensive as it is. And there's even stuff that we won't even have time to get into that just make notes on the side. Take copious notes so that you will be equipped to teach others the word of Christ about the cross of Christ. And so for the sake of the nations, Stay awake. Like, stay awake for the sake of the nations. And if you need to, if you need to, feel free to get up and walk around and do jumping jacks on the side. Like we're all in this thing together, okay? It's been a long week for many of us and long day. So just, there we go. We'll help each other. Here's where we're going. These sections, what we're going to dive into. Just give you a little outline where we're going. The reality of the cross the history of the cross, and then the meaning of the cross. We're going to look, okay, if you had to sum up the cross in one central meaning, what it would it be? And then from that, we're going to spring into a journey to the cross. We're going to look at four scenes from Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday that sum up four scenes along the passion narrative that give us different angles on understanding the cross. That's the journey of the cross. Then we'll get to the intent of the cross. Uh, Around about 11 o'clock this evening, we'll look at probably the most hotly contested component of the debate over Calvinism, which is the intent, extent, or the intent of the atonement. Calvinism, this whole five points of Calvinism, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Right in the middle, probably the one that is most debated is limited atonement. So that's what we're going to dive into tonight around 11, solve that thing, and then move on to the effects of the cross. It's going to be a good night, all right? Here we go. Thank you for listening. 
You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.